All right, that's the new way to look for church. Maybe not a great way, but seems to be the preferred way. But I'm just wondering if there's a better way. Maybe, I don't know, oh, maybe the truth of God's Word. Let's talk about the truth today about Jesus' bride, the doctrine of the church. Uh, I would think you would agree with me that it's a pretty daunting exercise to try and describe someone's bride. and You better get it right. So today, that's what we're going to do. We're hearing more and more that, of course, the next generation, the younger generation, is increasingly choosing not to participate in the organized church, not to gather in the organized church. They are saying things like, I believe in Christ, but I'm not sure I really need to bother with his church. Or, I like Jesus, but I don't really like his church. Well, we, of course, need to... uh, examine what God's Word really has to say about it. And quite frankly, the issue of the church today is so many people are dating, dabbling, or dissing the church, but few and fewer are taking the church seriously and what the Word of God actually has to say about it. So today I really simply want to make one main point. You ready? The church is what Jesus is doing. So are you in on it, and are you doing it right? That's really the issue for today. Father, as we uh, gather together this morning, we really want to know what you have to say. I mean, this is your church, the bride of Christ. We need to know what you have taught us about the church. We hear lots of people's opinions and lots of people's ideas, but Lord, We want to know what the truth is about the church and what we should really believe. So I pray as always, Lord, that you would lead us deep into your heart, help us understand what you want us to to understand. And then, Lord, I pray that we would move and act on what we find to be true. Would you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, deal with our hearts today? I pray, Father, that we would be, as always, Not hearers of the word only, but doers of God's word. For hearing only would not be profitable to us. For Jesus' sake I pray. Amen. Well, here's how we define the church here at Calvary in our statement of faith. We believe a New Testament church is a community of baptized believers voluntarily associated for the ministry of God's word and prayer, the observance of the ordinances of baptism, parenthetically immersion, and the Lord's Supper, for mutual edification and care, for the advancement of the gospel to the ends of the earth, and whose leadership consists of pastors, parenthetically elders, and deacons. That is the Calvary Baptist Church Statement of Faith. A little bit wordy, but it covers a lot of ground, covers important ground, covers the truth in God's Word. So I want to talk to you this morning about let's get this right. Let's make sure in understanding the doctrine of the church that we are getting it right, and make sure that we are people, by getting it right, who are energizing the next generation to love the bride of Christ, to love what God is doing, to love what Christ is doing, the glory of Christ's bride. I want to tell you this morning that Jesus loves his bride, the church. And I, I think Jesus takes huge exception to those who don't love his bride, as any of us guys would with respect to our own bride. So Jesus loves his bride, so we better get it right. From the scriptures, 
I want to paint today as best I can for you a true portrait of Christ's bride. Now, of scriptural certainty, I can say to you that the church is not bricks and stone and a building. Although we talk to each other about we're coming to the church and all of that kind of thing, what we're sitting in this morning, this is not the church. We're going to discover what the church really is, but it's not buildings. And it's not about style. We, can, we could argue for the next, well, till Jesus comes back about style. It's not about style. It's not even about methods. It's not even about motives. The Apostle Paul said, look, at I, I, you know, they may have bad motives, but what matters to me is that Jesus Christ is being preached. But I can tell you what it is about. It is about mission, and it is about the message. A non-negotiable message, a non-negotiable truth. We, we have it here for us, and so we can at least, out of a minimum, make a statement about the certainty that we can define the church based on the scriptures. And what I'm going to say to you, or how I'm going to define it, it may be more, but it's not less than what I'm going to tell you. And I would also like to say that the church is probably both smaller and bigger than all of us think. It it is bigger than Calvary Baptist Church. Will we agree? But it may be smaller than Calvary Baptist Church in the sense that, sadly, it's possible that not everybody in this room this morning is actually a part of Jesus' church. So it is both smaller and and bigger than we regularly think it is. So without any further ado, I want to give you a definition that I think is of scriptural certainty. The church is a called out, confessing community commissioned to obey Christ's commands. Now I spent all week coming up with alliteration to make this thing work. No, I didn't. I did not. You know me better than that. In fact, this kind of just fell together as I, was, as I was bringing the elements together of what I discovered in the scriptures. I realized, wait a second, we could make this memorable. It is possible that we can define this so that people can actually remember it. In a very contained way, a called out, you all can memorize this, a called out, confessing, community, commissioned to obey Christ's commands. That's not hard to remember, and I believe that encompasses all of the necessities of scriptures. Um, This is what Jesus is building, and wherever a group of people is not demonstrating these things, these elements, it is not a church, all right? We can tell that for sure. So uh, let's begin our journey, and we'll break this down into four, four parts this morning. Begin our journey. Let's go to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 16 where Jesus uh, took his disciples, because he named us, uh, Jesus is responsible for this name, and he named us, and he did so when he took his disciples to a place called Caesarea Philippi, and there at the epicenter of wickedness, of idol worship, Jesus announced his building project. He announced his grand vision. He announced what he was about to do. And by the way, 
I, I would, uh, as we look back in history and realize that Jesus was standing at the epicenter of idol worship, I, I can tell you that today, this very morning, this church is at the epicenter of idol worship. All around us, in our city, in our region, in our country, the majority of people are worshiping idols and not the living God. That gives us a very, very significant and strategic responsibility to be Christ's bride visually to the church as we demonstrate who he is. We'll talk about that a little bit more uh, as we, as we uh, move through the sermon. But Jesus was asking the question of his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is in verse 13? And um, they replied, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, and still others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what do you, he asked, uh, but what about you? Who do you say I am? And Peter makes this great confession of Christ. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then Jesus says in verse 18, and I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. First use of the word in the scriptures. And the gates of Hades will not overcome it. But by the way, the Lord didn't use the word church. That's the English word. The Lord used this con- construction, ecclesia. I will build my ecclesia, which is ek out of klesia called. We are called out ones. That's the definition of the church. We are called out of the world to belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's where the word church came from, in fact, because to belong to the Lord is actually a Greek construction, kyriakon, which the Germans call kerk, which became church. So that's how from ecclesia we migrated to the word church. But when you think about church, we are Calvary Baptist called out ones, called out of the world. Um, think about this grand illustration of, of His Royal Highness, the, the Almighty God of the universe, has called us to be part of His kingdom. Now, I suspect that most of you have received in some way, a, a grand invitation of some sort, or maybe several. You've been invited to a wedding, and you felt really important about that, or you were invited to a special ceremony that someone was hosting, and you felt very important about that. You were called to this, this idea. But think about this. Think about who you are. You are called out by the Royal Highness, His Royal Highness of the universe, to come and be part of His kingdom. He is making and picking his kingdom, his eternal kingdom, to those who are humble enough to recognize the call and receive it and welcome it and to know they're invited. In John chapter 15, verses 16 through 19, Jesus says this, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go out and bear fruit, fruit that will last. I have chosen you out of the world. That's who we are. Called ones to become citizens of his end time kingdom, the now but not yet, out of the world to model who he is. God is calling out of the world the final kingdom citizens 
by baptizing them with the Holy Spirit into Christ. Now, I want you to follow along. Jesus prophesied this in Matthew 16, but we want to move through to Acts chapter 2 and see where it actually came to fruition, where the journey with Jesus began, where the culture of Jesus was kicked off. And that is found in Acts chapter 2 and the day of Pentecost. Now, you need to understand the setting here. Many people who had been fearers of God, many people who were uh, for Jews who had come, they had come to Jerusalem to uh, celebrate the Passover. Now we're 50 days after the Passover in a time what's called Pentecost. And at this particular time, we pick it up in verse 1 when it says, when the day of Pentecost came, this is by the way after Jesus has been crucified, uh, buried, and has risen again. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. The church, the movement of Jesus was kicked off, began at this point. Jesus' building project began on this day, Pentecost, with these people as the Spirit of God came upon them. And as you move over in the text, Peter is preaching a sermon, and the people ask, what should we do? Brothers, what shall we do with what Peter is telling us? And Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit promises for you and your children and for those far off to whom all God will call. And then, of course, in uh, the doctrinal section of the scriptures in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13, Paul talks about the, the evidence of the church and who is in the church. And he says, for we, verse 13, were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we were all given the uh, one spirit to drink. The church began at Pentecost, and the spirit of God was poured upon people and those who received the Spirit of God were now part of the church of Jesus Christ. That's how the church is called out, called out of the world. Having already established a chosen people of God from one nation, Israel, now he's extending the will of God to make all the nations, the people of all the nations, into followers of Jesus Christ. And if you're still in Acts chapter 2, after they were baptized, they received, welcomed, or after they were repented and welcomed the message and were baptized, it says in verse 41, those who welcomed his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. A lot of people who say, well, I don't see membership in the Bible anywhere. Well, I do see membership, and I see it in a lot of places, and certainly there. There were 3,000 added that day. If you go over to chapter 4, you will find that there were 5,000 added that day. There was some system of recording who was in and who was out. I, I don't know exactly what it was in those particular days, but they knew who was in and who was out. They were added to the church. So clearly to be in... To be in, you had to have the Holy Spirit. You had to have the Holy Spirit. And those who repented and welcomed the message of the gospel were baptized 
by the Holy Spirit into Christ. That's how the church began. That's how the church continues to this day. When people repent of their sins, turn from themselves and their sin and turn to the, uh, from their idols and turn to the living God, welcoming the message of the gospel, they are saved. They are filled with the Spirit of God and are saved. They are baptized in the Spirit of God. Many fillings, one baptism, right? Taking off from what Pastor Calvin taught us last week, many fillings keep being filled with the Spirit. Many fillings, one baptism, the baptism of your salvation. Now, we are a called out community. We're also a confessing group, a confessing to confirm the King, to confirm that the King, Jesus, is your King. That's what Jesus did when he took his disciples to Caesarea Philippi, and he stands before them and says, who do people say I am? But more importantly, who do you say I am? And that's the question that Jesus asks of every one of us this morning. When I, when I survey the, the great crowd of people here this morning, I'm asking you the question on Christ's behalf. He's asking you, who do you say he is? And Peter, the disciple, standing in the midst of a horrendous place of idol worship, worshiping of false gods, worshiping of idols, called out, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, not like these dead gods around us. You're the son of the living God. And Jesus commanded him for that confession and said it is on this confession that I will launch a worldwide movement, Peter, a movement that will not be stopped. The gates of hell cannot prevail against it. We are a confessing group that Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Lord. It's an unstoppable movement. And he said, I will give you, the church, the keys of the kingdom. And I will grant you the authority to challenge evil and wickedness. To shut it out of your midst. To chase it out of your midst. In our survey, many were asking, or in one of the surveys said, does the church have the authority to, uh, to shut me out of the Lord's table or excommunicate me? I would tell you, yes. Jesus has given the true church of Jesus Christ the keys to the kingdom. The unlocking and locking of the door. It has the authority, has been granted the authority. Now, 55% of you said you already knew that. 45% said, no, nah, I'm not so sure. But today you're sure, right? Yes? God's word tells you of the keys of the kingdom, Matthew 16. It's right there. And, and what are we doing? Turn over in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 3. What a remarkable text this is. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 8. What are we doing in this confessing reality? In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 8, although Paul writes, I am less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given to me to preach, the, to, preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And he goes on. And to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. His intent was that now through the church, through us, now through the church, 
The manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you realize what we have been given, the task, the responsibility, this calling that we have been given to make known the manifold wisdom of God? The prime responsibility, the purpose is for us to tell to the people around us who worship idols, Christ is of greatest value to show them by how, by how we live the unsearchable riches of the Lord Jesus Christ. The wisdom of God, the strength of God, the power of God, the love of God, the mercy of God, the justice of God. We are this, to demonstrate the manifold, we're a prototype of the end time kingdom of God. We are outposts of God's power to overcome evil and wickedness. We are living testimonies and witness to the fact that Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit can take a life and completely change it, can radically turn it around, can uh, recover us from our addictions, can rescue us from our, our slavery to sin, can change our entire life, can change our relationships, can put joy in our hearts and peace deep within our soul, and can demonstrate what no other philosophy philosophy can demonstrate because of Jesus Christ. That's the church. That's uh, for us to demonstrate the value of the treasure. We were singing at the top of our hearts this morning, Christ is enough for me. That's what our neighbors are to see in our lives. That's what our family has to see in our lives. That's what our coworkers are to see in our lives as we demonstrate the manifold witness of God and embarrass the rulers and authorities in heavenly realms who are trying to hold people in the clutches of the evil one. That's literally what it says here. We are to embarrass the demons by our lifestyle as they continue to mock humanity and and stand stand in the presence of God and say, look at how horrible humanity is. And Jesus points to his bride and says, look at the beauty of my bride and the glory of my bride. And demonstrates the manifold wisdom of God to rescue people who are lost and change their lives. We are instructors and dispensers of God's wisdom. We live differently. We think differently. We point people in better directions. We show it by our lives to a world that there is something so much better. Do you believe that? Are Are you part of a movement that is so much better. Ah. Wow. If I were a lost person today, I'd want to get in on the church. I would want to get in on the church. We are the way God channels wisdom to this world. This world is whack. Is it not? I mean, honestly, even if you weren't a Christian, you'd think this world is whack. We bring God's wisdom to this world. How's that for purpose? Did you think you were signing up for that when you came to know Christ? By the way, if you come to know me, Christ says, I'm going to purpose you to demonstrate to the world the wisdom of God. Are you serious? I'm not worthy of that. To demonstrate the wisdom of God to the world? Yes, you have been given that. 
by the presence of the Holy Spirit in your lives. And we are to be obedient to ceremony, to testify to spiritual reality that this thing is real. Listen, we have been tasked by God to practice certain ceremonies physically that demonstrate a replica of spiritual truth. We have been given certain responsibilities to carry forth when we gather together that are to testify to the high level and high purposes and high wisdom of God. Every ceremony that's given to us is a critical unfolding and revealing of the truth. And every single detail of those ceremonies matters because we are demonstrating physically spiritual truth. Take, for example, marriage, the ceremony of marriage and the act of marriage. The ceremony of marriage physically models and is a replica of Christ and his church. The picture of God's wisdom in marriage is that the male would impregnate the female with life-giving seed in the same way as Christ gives the church life-giving seed. And the world in its foolishness suggests that same-sex ceremonies are no different than opposite gender ceremonies. The Word of God has something different to say about that. Our ceremony physically is to be a replica of spiritual truth or it is false. When we talk about believer baptism, another ceremony, every detail matters. I'm not sure if you understand this, but I mean, we could debate the ways of baptism again for hours. But let's just take for a moment the spiritual picture of what God has done for you. When you came to know Christ, you were baptized by the Holy Spirit into Christ. All of you. You weren't sprinkled into Christ. You weren't dabbed into Christ. You weren't poured into Christ. You weren't put into Christ by your parents. You were put into Christ totally by the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He immersed you into Christ. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be sprinkled into Christ. I don't want to be poured into Christ. I don't want to be dabbed into Christ. I don't want to think or wonder, did my parents put me into Christ? Am I in Christ? I want the Holy Spirit to baptize me into Christ, fully immersed in Christ. That's the teaching of the Scriptures. That's what they were invited to do. Repent and be baptized, immersed in the waters. 
and beloved, there is no picture in the New Testament scriptures of any Christian whoever wasn't baptized. There are a lot of people wandering around, well, yeah, I'm a Christian, but I, yeah, I haven't been baptized. I'm going to get around to that one of these days. That was, that's never a picture. We're talking about the doctrine of the church. How did we stray so far as to think that was a reality or that was, that was all right? When, when, that, that's giving the impression that somehow you can be saved, but you aren't baptized into Christ. No, you were saved and you were baptized into Christ. And they on that day rushed and said, hey, here's the water. What prevents me from being baptized physically demonstrating a replica of what Christ has done in my heart. That's the pictures of the scriptures. Oh, there was one individual who wasn't baptized. You know which one that was? You all know. The thief on the cross. He had a little bit of an inconvenience going on with the terms of being baptized. So here's the deal for me. If you come to me and you say, I, I couldn't get baptized because I was on a cross, okay. <laughs> but the Bible makes that one exception. And so we have this picture, and then the Lord's table. So some people say, well, how, how old should I be to be baptized? How old should, should it be? Well, if you can repent of your sins and turn from your old life and welcome the message of the gospel into your life, you're ready to be baptized. And then there is the Lord's table, an enactment of the cross and what Jesus has done for us, the action of our salvation. So people, ah, you know, it's not such a big deal. It was a command. As often as you do this, remember the Lord. So, so would chocolate chips and orange juice be good enough for the elements? No, I don't think so. We have the bread which symbolizes the bread of life, Christ Jesus. And the drink is red, symbolizing the cost of our salvation. So for me, because we're talking about a replica of real spiritual reality, it needs to be bread and red. I don't think that's hard to remember. How soon should I be taking the Lord's table? If you understand the Lord's table, if you understand what Jesus has done for you, that he died for you and you've repented of your sins and you've turned to Jesus Christ and been baptized, you're old enough to take the Lord's table. If you're old enough to understand what the Lord's table means, you're old enough to be baptized. It works back and forth. We're a community to conform to the king. Christians, community connections. We're a, we're a connecting enterprise. We were purchased from radical independence and individualism and self-absorption to be placed into a body. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 14 talks about us being placed into the body of, of we are different members of the body of Christ. Christ didn't save us for ourselves. He saved us for himself and his family. It's not possible to grow outside of the family of God. 
You can't grow independently. The materials, the raw material for growing you is found in the body of Christ as a whole. When Jesus talks about giving gifts to men, he's talking about for building up the new temple. And the new temple is not one stone. It's many stones. And we are the raw material of that. When the fruit of the Spirit pops out of your life, it's for the purpose of edifying, of building up the church of Jesus Christ. The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. These are not things that you place on yourself. I have no problem being kind to me. I'm really good at it. I have no problem having patience with myself. I'm exceptional at it. It's being kind to other people and patient with other people that I have a problem with. Well, surprise, surprise. That's the point of the body of Christ. That the fruit of the Spirit might be manifest one to the other. That's how we know that the Spirit of God is at work in us. Not that I can be nice to me, but that I can be kind and gracious and, 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 and have joy and peace toward others. We're a community. We're structured as a community. Structural connections and gathering for courage and growth. God has given us leaders very structured in the church, leaders to feed us and to protect us, to provide for us, to equip us. That word to equip you in, in 1 Timothy uh, is, is to, uh, or sorry, Ephesians chapter, um, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11, 12, and on, equipping us. It's like a broken net or setting a bone to serve God. Leaders have been given to you to, to make sure that you know the truth and hear the truth. To protect you from the savage wolves and false teachers that are all around us and that are coming upon us. That secretly introduce destructive heresies. And exploit us financially with stories that they make up themselves. Second Peter chapter 2 verse 1 and following. I'm not making this up. As it was in the beginning and the early stages of the church, it continues to be, Satan's plan continues to be the same, to try and take you away from the truth. Has given you deacons to be servant specialists, to show you what it means to serve the living God with all of their hearts, mind, soul, and passion. And we are commanded not to stop gathering together. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 to 25 I found that rather alarming as I looked in the scriptures and I realized, wait a second, that was the early days of the church. You mean they only came to church one in three Sundays and one in four Sundays? I thought that was a, a modern problem. No, apparently it was going on then too. Oh, I don't need to gather. I, I'm, I'm good on my own. Hebrews 10, 24, 25 says, let us not give up gathering together as some are in the habit of doing and all the more as we see the day approaching. What's that day talking about? The day of the Son of Man, the day of the Lord. We need to be gathering together. And by the way, it's not a suggestion. God doesn't make suggestions. In fact, I, I'm trying to think, does God ever make a suggestion? I don't think so. God never suggests anything. He tells us 
Don't stop gathering together as some are in the habit of doing. And all the more, not all the less, all the more as you see the day of Christ approaching, getting ready for the King of Kings. Finally, we are a commissioned group to obey Christ's commands. I I won't take much time in this, but in the Acts chapter 2 text, let's understand something. In Acts chapter 2, you had a bunch of people coming to celebrate Pentecost from all over the place, all over the nations. And they had moved into Jerusalem, and they didn't have houses. And so they started hanging out at, 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 at your house. So imagine if Pentecost took place in Oshawa, and people come from all over the world, and they come to Oshawa. They come, and they come to your house, and they, they sponge at your house for quite some time. And it's really nice what's going on in Acts chapter 2. You know, they're all sharing things, and common, the massive group hug, and all that kind of stuff. But I'm not certain that Acts chapter 2 is to be normative going forward. There are elements in there that are normative, but not sponging at your house. We are not a commune. We are a community. In fact... The reason I know this is true is by Acts chapter 8, Jesus sends a tremendous persecution into Jerusalem to scatter them. Hey, it's nice, it's cozy, it's comfortable, sponging off everybody else and a massive group hug. But I want you out doing the commission. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. And so they were persecuted and they were sent out to call people to the king. Christ, the king. And we are commissioned to obey His commands. Christ is the head of the church, sustaining all things by his tradition of the church, by experience. No, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, by his powerful word. This is how we know that we are, are serving the commission of the king. We obey his word. Quickly, from the first to the fourth century, Christ was purifying his church through persecution. And in those days, Christ was head of the church. After that, for the next 1,200 years, the fourth century through to the 16th century, there were layers and layers of human church tradition, whereby the church became less and less like Jesus and more and more like an idea that man would invent. And the church became the head of the church as opposed to Christ. And many of us in these days are still steeped in old church tradition When the church was the head of the church, Jesus Christ never put his bride in charge of the bride. Christ is the head of the church. And 500 years ago this very year, the reformers came along and started to say, wait a second, the church has departed from the truth of the scriptures. And from these past 500 years, we have been reforming. And we are still in the process of reformation. We are still rescuing people out of tradition and into the church and the truth of God's word, where Christ is the head of his church. And in that rescue mission, 
of Christ being the head, there are five onlys that are near and dear to our understanding of the scriptures. Solus Christus, Christ alone for our salvation. Sola fide, through faith alone. Sola gratia, by grace alone. Sola scriptura, through the scriptures alone. And soli deo gloria, to the glory of God alone. That's who we are. That's the definition of what we believe. And so the commission that we have is to go and make disciples, to invite them to repent and turn from their sins and turn to Christ and welcome the message of the gospel. And they will be baptized by the Holy Spirit upon that confession of faith. And then to be baptized by immersion in water as a testimony physically, a physical replica of what Jesus Christ has done in their hearts. And then we are to teach them from that point forward to obey everything that Christ has commanded us in his word. That's the doctrine of the church, my beloved. So, as the worship team music team comes forward what should we do what should we do when Peter preached the message the question was asked of the people there they said brothers what should we do and Peter answered and said repent and be baptized and the promise that has been offered to you will be forgiveness and the Spirit of God. And those who welcomed the message were baptized and were added to the church that day. So what should you do? I, I want to offer to you this morning a, a multiple application. We've gathered here this morning because the day of the Lord is coming. We don't know when. It could be at the end of this service. Or perhaps God will require your life today. Uh, we don't know. And my question to you is, are you completely right with God and immersed in his church? Have you repented and come to know Christ? And in welcoming the message received the Holy Spirit of God? And then have you publicly confessed and testified by the waters of baptism? An exact replica of what the Spirit of God has done for you by baptizing you into Christ. And in doing that, have you been added to the church? Say, well, I come here, I, I think this is my church. Have you... Have you committed yourself to this church? We have a system by which you actually commit yourself to this church. So as our music team...
leads us forth. We are ready for however God is working in your heart this morning. Repented? Yes. Welcome the message? Yes. Been baptized by immersion? No. Out of the church? No. I don't know what it is for you, but this morning is your day. Your opportunity. The water is in the tank. There are clothes that you can get wet in in the choir room and we'll send you back home dry, but you'll never be the same. So as the team is playing, I'm going to invite you to stand up. And as God moves in your heart, whatever is not done yet in your life, get it done today. Today's the day that Christ is calling you to get in on what he is doing. The church. Are you in? Are you doing it right? Oh, Lord God, we pray by the power of the Holy Spirit that you will work in the lives of people today who have some unfinished business with you. And you'll draw them to yourself. They'll come forward right to the front, meet with one of our pastors, and then whatever needs to be done will be done right now, right today. For your great name's sake, amen.